MSW Media. So, Renato, is Trump's January 6th trial really going to start the day before Super Tuesday? Uh, it's complicated. I'm Renato Miriati. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal contributor for ABC News. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down into a soundbite or a tweet. So yesterday, there was a lot of drama in Judge Chutkin's courtroom where uh, Trump's lawyer got incredibly heated, I understand. Uh, we only have, you know, the the secondhand reports. Um, that one was not televised. I kind of wish it was televised, but okay. So, and this was about... Um, this was a hearing about uh, the setting the trial date, and it looks like there were some arguments advanced by Trump's lawyers that the judge was really, they were selling and she was not buying. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, just as a starting point, um, I mean, I think... You know, they, Trump's team came out with a very aggressive proposal, which is right out of the box. We want a 2026 trial date. Okay. That is rarely something that she's like, what? Yeah. I mean, she was just had not, nothing of it. I will say just before, before we even get into any of this stuff, you know, one comment when I was discussing this with my wife, we were talking about it. She's like, you know, it's really remarkable that there's two black women who have basically kind of drawn lines here for Trump. And I mean, he has been found every angle. We spent so many, so many hours on this podcast talking about, oh, well, it's actually really complicated because he could take advantage of some loophole or norm or courtesy or this is kind of how it works. And Tanya Chutkin's just like, you know, F you. Like, this is, this is what we're going to do. And Putty really kind of drew a hard line for Trump. And it's got to, it's got to really be pissing him off because, you know, she has an extraordinary amount of discretion regarding a trial date. It's not appealable despite his, uh, truth social posts to the contrary. And this is, I mean, she very much can control the situation and it really, you know, derails his plans. Well, and, I mean, I know that Trump is obviously going to see this through the lens of this is a woman, you know, a black woman, you know, telling me what to do. But I mean, her reasoning was very, it, it sounded like she was just on board with treating him like any other defendant. And Trump's lawyers had come in giving, I guess, comps, um, you know, other cases mm -hmm. that uh, they said were, you know, had taken that long to uh, prepare for. And she really called them out because she said, well, first of all, these cases that you're citing, these comps, you're looking at the time from indictment to sentencing, which is not the same as indictment to trial, because I think she said the sentencing phase can right. take like three months. 
Um, or more, yeah. Yeah, or more. And then one of the cases that they actually cited was one of her own cases, which she was like, yeah, I know that case pretty well. And that was during COVID, which added all kinds of delays. And th- that's not applicable here. And she also noted that, you know, basically it sounded like Trump's lawyers were trying to emphasize that this was such a novel case, sort of a first time. And her point was really, well, it's novel in that he's a former president being indicted, but that, you know, it wasn't necessarily a complicated legal claim that required any more preparation than similar other cases. So, okay, I've got actually a, a take is gonna, you, you, that's a little going to be a little bit maybe surprising to you. Provocative? Provocative. Okay. I don't like think her. I don't think her. I I I wouldn't take. I I think we need to look beneath the surface of what was going on here. In okay. My opinion. So okay. first of all, Trump's team totally screwed this up in terms of how they handled it. I mean, coming out of the box with the 2026 date was stupid. What you what you do um, is, and I'll say this as a pro, is you set a as you set a somewhat reasonable but lengthy date. And then you come up with all sorts of reasons, like things come up, like unexpected things come up and it's like death by a thousand cuts. And b- before you know it, it's 2026, but you don't start at 2026. Like that is you're, you're basically declaring your intentions in advance, right? It's like if your kid is trying to get something out of you and they just tell you up front, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to take the car and go, you know, meet my boyfriend or something like you don't, it's best to not say that it's best to try to come up with some other reason to have the car. So I, I think. I think that 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 was one thing that was going on here, but two, I think I, I don't. I, I think that some of her art. I think some of her arguments. Sh- she was not. She was not having any of their arguments, and some no. of their arguments did have something to them. Like for okay. example, there are some novel legal issues here. It is. It's not true that that. If other than the fact he's president, that there's nothing new about the case, right? Has anyone ever been charged with, you know, conspiring with attorneys to, you know, impact, you know, overturn the results of the election via the vote count or something? I mean, you could make arguments that, you know, that there's, there's some, there are some unique legal points to be made, but they didn't have, there was no meat on the bones. Their arguments were the, the arguments, the motions they proposed we're kind of silly, okay? Things like absolute immunity and all that. And I really think she, there was, and they weren't even trying to persuade her, and we'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure. But I think part of what was going on here is, we talked about this a few episodes ago. You know, Trump was, she was not, I think it's fair to say she was never going to be Trump's uh best friend from the bench, okay? She was not going to be somebody who was... She's not going to be... Eileen Loose Cannon. Right. Well, she's sort of the, the, the flip of the coin, right? It's like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know. The anti-cannon. Right. It's exactly. It's like uh, in <laughs> Batman where you have like Two-Face and he flips the coin and like you don't know which side you're getting. So Cannon's on one side and you've got Chutkin on the other. Totally different people. Completely different uh, sides of the coin. But like, so she wasn't, you know, she she was never going to be like the best judge for them, the the, the best draw for them. But... They, you know, I, I really think that Trump has done everything possible to piss her off. And she's really savvy. I've said this on TV multiple times. This is a very savvy litigator who's been, you know, was at a big firm, was a public defender. She knows the game. 
And the game is, you're the judge. You have control over a lot of things. You do not try to create some First Amendment issue by shutting down his tweets. You just say, okay, you're going to play around. Well, guess what? I'm in charge, and we're going to have a trial date as soon as possible. And you can't appeal it. And and if you try to challenge it after your trial, after your guilty plea, or excuse me, after your guilty verdict, the Court of Appeals is going to give me an extraordinary discretion. There's nothing you could do about it. I'm going to set whatever trial date I want. And and you know what? You want to keep tweeting out? You want to keep insulting me? Maybe the trial date will move up. That's what, that's like gangster, but that's how a lot of judges would be. In that situation, smart judges. And I think that was just her being really savvy and strong in this situation. So let's let's kind of, unpack some of the tactics that Trump's lawyers, uh, Trump's lawyer was using. Um, so one was, it sounded like he got very heated and like raised his voice to her. And from what I understand, the reporting that I read, she was like, why don't we just turn down the temperature a little bit here? Um, and I'm wondering what you think now being a defense lawyer, having been a prosecutor, it, you know, look, there's a lot of theater in lawyering, right? I mean, my, you know, my personal view is that lawyers are frustrated actors, at least litigators are. And so, you know, there, there's a, a certain amount of performance, I suspect, that you're doing definitely for a jury. And in this case, maybe for the judge, maybe for your client. Was Trump there, actually, yesterday? Like, could no, you see that? but of course he, he was going to get okay. tons of reports of what was happening, right? If if they shook Jack Smith's hand, that that, that was going to get back to Trump, right? Right. So what did you, what is your view on that approach? That's another awesome question, because my view is 180 degrees from some of what we've seen on whatever it is, X, Twitter, whatever it's called now. Okay. Um, and elsewhere on TV. I mean, I thought there was some disingenuous, either people who never have never really pra- practiced much, or in some cases, just people I think were being disingenuous to get clicks. Uh, I-, I think there's no question to me that the defense attorney there, uh, Laura, who's a good lawyer, was putting on a show. Um, and he was doing it largely for his client, or that, that's the way you would usually interpret it. Okay. This sort of thing that he was doing happens all the time. Um, and it's usually because the client's sitting in the back row and you got to put on a show for the client here. It may have been for his client Trump via the press, or it may have been because they're trying to set up some sort of public narrative. But there's no question in my mind that he made a calculus in his head and he realized that he was not, he couldn't, there's not a damn thing he could say that was going to change Judkin's mind. He, he was throwing out all this. She was like a brick wall. And, you know, it, it would have been, if, if I, if I was representing John Doe in this circumstance, it would have been a very different conversation and we would have had a lot of different, there would have been a lot more back and forth. I would have been reasonable. She would have been receptive. None of that was happening. So he made a decision that it didn't matter if he pissed her off. He needed to put on a show for Trump and and also sort of send a message that 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 kind of could go to the public that they're being railroaded. Um, and so, you know, people were like, well, why is he flying off the handle? Well, one thing I'll just say is somebody who does this for a living. You know, you have to, to be really effective as an advocate, you kind of have to buy your own bullshit. Okay. You have to, um, and apologize for the swearing for if you're listening to this with your kids at home, but, but you have to buy your own BS because 
you kind of have to convince yourself of whatever it is that you're arguing and you get very worked up because there's a lot on the line. And so I think Loro is competitive and he wants to win and he's frustrated and he views this as unfair. If I was, if this was John Doe and I was, you know, getting a trial date that quickly and I, I had 12 million documents to review or whatever it is, 12 million pages of documents, I might be frustrated as well. I don't think I would, I would take quite that tactic, but you know, if your client is really angry and their life is on the line, you know, sometimes you join in with that. Um, it sounded like the judge stayed very calm. She did. And kind of, because I suppose, I don't know, I I suppose judges in that case could get, you know, t- could not t- take that well and push back even harder, but she did it. It sounds like. Yeah, I almost think, so here's the thing. Some judges do react to something like that, and then they try to shut it down and show their control. But actually, most judges do not. And it's it's almost like a sign of their own power there. It's like you're sitting there flailing around. You can't do a dang thing about it. And they've made their decision, and that's it. It's like she knows. She's got the power. It's like a parent with their kid having a temper tantrum. Right. Like you just, you're like, you can, you can, you can cry and scream and do whatever you want. And I'm just going to sit here and wait until you're done. Yeah. And then we can talk about it. Because there's nothing that's going to change. It's like the kid came out. I can't use that analogy earlier. The kid came out and stupidly said exactly what they want to do. You know, me and my boyfriend want to make out in the car. So can I use your car? And, and you're like, no. And they're throwing a temper tantrum over it. And you're just letting it burn out because you're just like, I'm in charge, you know, whatever, you know, I'm going to, you know, you just don't give a, give a crap. You're in charge. And so I think that's what, what happened. I mean, this was, like I said, it was very much a power move by the judge. There are certain things the judge does where they just have unlimited power. Yeah. I'm getting flashbacks to the show, Super Danny. Did you ever watch that show? No, I love. I, when I said unlimited power, I was thinking of Palpatine. Unlimited no, I, power. Well, I'm, I was thinking no. of Super Danny because when I, my children were little, <laughs> I would watch Super Danny, and I was like amazed at this woman. She was a British nanny, and she would come in and like these families, and they would have like three, four, five children, almost always. And the the takeaway from that that I always learned is never let your children outnumber you because then that's when things go downhill. But anyway, so they would bring in <laughs> Super Danny. And this woman could, it didn't matter how crazy these kids were. She just was calm and cool. She'd put up a schedule. She actually had a, she'd put up a schedule on the wall. She'd be like, this is what's happening. And she'd have the naughty chair. And within a week, she'd have those kids under control. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That sort of was Judge Chutkin. She's just like, you know... This is how it's going to be. You can get upset about it. Well, I'll just sit here and you know sip my tea as you are, and then whenever, whenever you're done with that, we're going to get on to some of the other things that I'm going to decide that are also you're not you're not going to like those either. (laughs) So, um, so another thing that I and I only saw this clip today. I haven't seen this reported yesterday. This was another, it seems like, bad idea genes on the part of the lawyer, and I don't know if they thought they were going to, like, I don't know what they thought they were doing. Um, So, apparently, one of the cases that they cited as 
precedent of, you know, a trial date being set where the defense doesn't get enough time to prepare that goes up to the Supreme Court and the convictions are overturned was a 1931 case involving, I think, several Black men who had been accused, likely falsely, of of raping a white woman and were given six days to prepare their defense. And yes, like, that went up to Supreme Court and even a court sitting in 1931 apparently was like, yeah, that's not enough time. Um, That seems like a pretty dumb case to cite uh, for this particular context. I am also guessing that those defendants did not have a stable of highly paid, you know, lawyers that, you know, were on a million dollar retainers. That's right. Uh, Yeah, I think... um... I, I do think that was uh, obviously a mistake. I mean, it was sort of offensive, right? Um, particularly for this judge to be to have that case cited, at, uh, you know, to try to support what Trump was trying to do here. I think that was an unforced error. I mean, one thing that just to help though our listeners understand the problem that Trump's team was in. So usually, in most cases. There are, there is a lot of time that's afforded to the defense to prepare. And these cases do drag on for years. I think I've said before on the podcast that I have like a 2020 case that I just got continued into like July of 2024. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for that to happen. Um, it happens for a variety of reasons, but partly because the legal system is overloaded. You know, there's just judges have too many cases and the defense has too much to do. We are, you know, we're all juggling a lot of different cases and it is what it is. Um, but the constitutional baseline is like almost nothing in terms of how much time you actually are required. The amount of discretion that goes to the judge regarding how to set her calendar and how much time to give you to prepare is insane. And, you know, if you, you know, ultimately, if you think, you know, let's say in this case, a week or two, I think it was maybe, it may have been two weeks. I don't remember, recall that was given to those defendants. Yeah, that's crazy. But you can be given, you know, much, you know, even though there's 12 million pages of documents, I think from a constitutional perspective, if they, if she gave them eight weeks or something, that probably would be fine. And so I think they really were desperate. Um, but you know, they showed poor judgment here on how to, how to go about that. Um, but, um, I think what they're, 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 they're trying to set up, um, a, uh, and they, they thought that this was their mechanism to do it. They're trying to set up with the judge a fear on her part that she wasn't get, they were going to make a record that they, that they weren't going to have enough time to prepare. And essentially, they were setting her up for like, hey, we're going to do what's called a file, what's called a 2255, uh, uh, I think it's 28 C, USC 20, 2255, where they file like a petition challenging the verdict afterwards. A lot of judges react to that. So like they said some magic words that are used by the defense in, in a lot of cases where they're like, I'm not going to be prepared. I'm not ready to go. I can't do this. You say that basically to signal to the judge, I'm creating a record to screw you. So you get to spend, not because the defense is going to get the verdict overturned, but you're going to spend 
many hours of your life in a courtroom years from now de- debating this issue. And I'm going to be testifying at, ev- at an evidentiary hearing that you were unfair and that I didn't have enough time. Um, you do that just to kind of create some downside for the judge. Um, and they did that, uh, you know, but, but I think the, the cases that they cited, cited to try to get there were kind of ham handed and they, they should have handled this with a little bit better judgment, but it is, it is what it is. Okay. So let's go to maybe some more of the reasonable arguments that they made on their face. Okay. That they have received 12 million documents and, you know, that this is, it's not reasonable to, ask them to review all of that um, and that, you know, they would need to if there's something exculpatory in there or something that would be relevant to his defense. Um, and, you know, discovery today, I mean, the, the the amount, the volume of communications and paper and documents that can be can be involved in a case today is vastly different than... Then say 1931, you know, um, because we have, you know, there's texts and there's emails and there's, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot to go through. So what, what, and I mean, I know what she said to this, but I'm curious uh, what you thought of her reasoning on this um, and the government's response. Well, that's why I said. I mean, it's complicated. Compare, compare. I don't. I don't have this sort of view that was widely propagated. Like, yes, what Trump's lawyers are saying was absurd, and you know, she had this brilliant response to it. Like I said, I think she was coming up with things to say to get her to the result because she was not. She was just not having it with Trump's team, but. No, I, I think trying to review 12 million document, pages of documents in that amount of time is a, a massive challenge for the defense. One, one argument that was given by the government that I would totally discount, and I actually think they could have done a way better job on this, is, well, the government's like, Smith seems like, hey, we've already gone through it for you. And we've told you what we think the most important documents are and the documents that can help you. Uh, we've marked all of them for you. And it's like, okay, that's great. If I was the defense, I'd be like, that's great. I, I, I'm not accepting the government's view of what my defense should be. I, in fact, my client's entitled to have me go through all this to figure out what our defense should be and have me really strategize here because accepting what the, uh, clearly the government thinks it could overcome whatever defense they've come up with. Right. <laughs> that's why they charged mm-hmm. it. So I can't accept their view of this. You know, that's absurd. So I think that I wouldn't accept. There is an, are there, the arguments that Chutkin made was essentially you should have started preparing before an indictment. Okay. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe not. I mean, maybe if you're in the Trump team, um, you think that the, this wouldn't go to indictment or whatever. I mean, the truth of the matter is if I was, let's say I was representing Trump, which I would never do, but let's just say that I was, I would have started preparing before indictment. True. I would have had a whole team working on it. But I think one thing that's different too is, you know, the lawyers he has working on this. You know, I am a partner at like a firm with 1300 lawyers and I have cases, criminal cases where I have dozens of lawyers on the case that I think he's only got, you know, these are small, like solo people, right? He's like alienated any large firm. Yeah. I think he's got like these like people who quit their big firm to have like their two person law practice. He's got like all these scattered people. 
And so I think he doesn't have like an army of lawyers reviewing documents. And I mean, could you hire contract attorneys and could you? Sure. But it, it, it would be a very massive and expensive undertaking to try to review 12 million documents by then. It wouldn't be comfortable. It would be a mad rush around the clock sort of thing. Um, I, you know, I hear that you, you know, people on the internet saying, oh, you could just do some searches and sure you would use searches. Yes. You wouldn't review every single doc, but you still have to get your hands around what's there. It, it is just, it is a lot. Um, it is, it's definitely a big undertaking. What about the government's argument that actually a lot of this is stuff he already has? I mean, that a huge portion of it are his own communications and, you know, have been in his possession and other things, um, I, that, that kind of he's, he's had access to it, that he, it's all been there and kind of in his knowledge. In other words, their argument was, there's nothing that's like completely new, like, you know, and including, by the way, they said um, the witness testimony and, and things like that he had even gotten. Uh, so what do you make of that argument? So this is an unusual case. Um, I mean, in one case, in one in one sense, the argument is very standard. Um, you know, the government says that in every case. Oh, you already have all your bills, all your, you know, all your business records, all your this. this. Yeah, you already had all, you had all your emails already, you know, but no, no company is like searching through all their email, emails all the time to like figure out what the government might find nefarious. But yes, um, yes, he did have all of that. But on the other hand, you know, what I said, what I was about to say is that, that this is an unusual case is that the January 6th committee went first. And did like a bunch of hearings first in which it presented the testimony first. That's totally not how it's supposed to work. It's not how it usually works. And so you really had televised, you know, witness testimony by a lot of the key witnesses. And the facts are very well known and reported by the press. It's not a typical case where XYZ company has an executive that's indicted and hire, and he hires me. And, you know, no one knows what the hell any of these witnesses are going to say. And no one's paid a lot of attention to some incident that happened 18 months ago because it's not notable. And we really are starting from scratch looking through all the company's records and emails. So I think there is something to that. Uh, does it add up to the super fast trial schedule? I don't know, but it, that's one of the better arguments that was made. One thing that I would have a question about, and I genuinely have a factual question about, I don't know, is... Is it easy to segregate out what they had before versus what they didn't? Like one of the big, biggest challenges is when you actually get these things in real life is, um, you get all this stuff and just figuring out what's what it can take a long time when you have 12 million documents and like really categorizing everything. But you know, it is, I mean, that she said it is that they is. had turned it over and it was very organized. She's, she remarked several yes. times at how organized it was. So I don't know if they yeah. gave him like, tabbed binders or like or or you know excel files or whatever it is um but it sounds like they tried to make the government has tried to in some way make that type of um analysis easier for the defense right well that and by the way that is another time where it really showed the judge's experience because this is a very qualified judge. Like I said, she had been a federal defender for a while. She had also been a partner in a big law firm. She just had done a lot of litigating. And so you had, this is, you know, this is why who you appoint as judges matters. And this is not like, she's the flip side, completely flip side of Cannon, who has almost no actual experience litigating cases. 
So Chutkin was getting pretty granular there. And it's like, yeah, not all 12 million pages are created equal because theirs are very organized and it tells you what's what. I often get dumps from the government and it's just like, yep, here's uh, 200 gigabytes of data. And it's like, what do you make of this? It takes us weeks just to figure out what's what. Um, so I, I do think that that, those are some of the better points that she made. I, I'm not saying there's nothing to her points. All I'm saying is there, it is what it is. It's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, you know, there, she definitely wanted to get to a certain result. And, um, you know, I, one thing that also hurt, by the way, Asha, that I will mention is I think one of the key turning points in that, whole argument as it was recounted by reporters was she asked Trump's lawyers to give a counter proposal and give me a counter proposal. It's not 2026. Give me a reasonable counter proposal. And, you know, I certainly think they could have gotten in November. Okay. She, they wouldn't have loved this. Okay. Cause the free general election could be them, but they certainly could have gotten in November. Let's say instead of new super Tuesday or October or something like that gotten themselves a good amount more time, but then they would have been essentially conceding that they could get ready by that time. Mm-hmm. And they just were not willing to play that game. They're like, she's going to screw us. So we're just going to stick to our guns. We're going to create pres- the record that this is just unreasonable. Correct. Correct. And that was, she's like, okay, you're not going to work with me at all. So then, then screw you. Like I said, they made a calculus. They didn't even want to try to, you know, to play ball with her. And so I think that was, I think that was a mistake personally, because, you know, when your clients are already convicted and you're sitting here making arguments, whether you, whether you could have been prepared, that's usually like a, a hail Mary. Uh, yeah. and uh, it, it wastes the judge's time. So they don't like that, but it's a hail Mary, which is why she's giving him the out, <laughs> but it's a hail Mary. Um, and it's very little solace to your, your client who's going to prison. Um, and so they should have probably taken her up on that and gotten a date in the fall, give themselves a little more time because they probably aren't going to be as ready as they need to be by this time. And that, that was a mistake on their part. So that brings us to our lot, to my last question about her, uh, approach and ruling, which was she set the trial date for March 4th, 2024. And that's the day before Super Tuesday. And Trump's lawyers brought this up and said, this is crazy. You know, he's got a political calendar. And her response was, too bad, so sad. Um, It is what it is. And I'm not going to accommodate his political schedule any more than I would accommodate an athlete's competitions you know, if she were being charged with a crime. Yes, note that she used female gender there, which I, I really appreciated. Um, I really appreciated that. I thought that was very interesting, Asha. And that was a moment, that was what was truly, I don't know if it's unprecedented because there's been some, now Trump's been in the situation before uh, with trial dates, at least in Manhattan. Um, but I yeah, thought- Yeah, it's starting it, to get less pre- less unprecedented, right? Like that's, Right, right. But it was genuinely like, I think there's a real question- Dude, should judges take into account the fact that he's running for president and is very likely going to be his party's nominee and all of that? Should they take it into account at all? And I think Judge Cannon, you know, did try to take it into account. Um, and, and Chudkin did not. And I, she, her reasoning on it was not wrong, but it will have an impact in the country. I mean, I think there, there is, there are going to be people who are not very, 
you know, either they're just totally in the bag for Trump or they're not very informed and they're just, their focus is going to be like, hey, this is, you know, I think it's Trump saying election interference or this is BS or whatever. So I think, you know, the, I, I think, you know, that's purely a judgment that's really beyond my pay grade. In other words, it's something never comes up in, in litigation ever. I've never, it never came up when I was a prosecutor. It doesn't come up by the defense side, but it's an interesting choice she made. And she was basically telling him, like, you, if you want more time, that's cool. We're going to push this to the general election. <laughs> and that could have been another calculus, by the way, on their part. They may think they have the primary sewn up and they can, they're crowing about it or making an issue of it, but really they don't uh-huh. think they need to actually campaign in the primary, but in the general, they do. So if they're, go- if they're not going to get it in 2025 or 2026, they might as well, you know, have it in the primary. Well, you know, that's what happens, I guess, when your lawyers are performing for an audience of one who's not actually who's not the judge. <laughs> who's not the judge? Yeah, as I say, who's not the judge? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. And I this now for what it's worth, we the March date may not completely hold, but I, I think at this point now, you know, I've been very. Um, um, I've been very careful about making predictions about whether this, this trial, any of the trials would be before the election. I think it's pretty safe to say this one's going to happen before the election. Woo-hoo! Okay. So, Renato, who moved my cheese? Yeah, we we're gonna cut the cheese from the other defendants. Uh, uh. Oh gosh! All right, so there's so yes. many good good ones. Um, I, I so many there good are puns so for many Ken good bro. puns for Ken Cheese Bro, who has filed a motion for a speedy trial in the Fulton County case. Now, again, I, I really feel like we need this map where we have like a little dotted line that takes us from you know D.C. back down to Georgia. So we're back in Georgia. Um, and Georgia has a law, a state law, that allows a defendant to file a motion for a speedy trial, in which case uh, the prosecutor is required to go to trial uh, within, I guess, two grand jury sessions, like which are like two months each. So effectively, I guess, like within like three to four months. And... So in doing that, and and if if she can't, then the case gets dismissed. So it's pretty that that's a pretty exacting standard for a prosecutor, and I think it helps explain why uh, Fonnie Willis, I think, took a while to bring the charges in the first place. You know, the special grand jury which investigated um, the events in Georgia and issued a report. This was not the same grand jury that. Um, handed down the indictment, but the special grand jury that was there before with the famous four women that we talked about a while back, um, they concluded their work in December of 2022. And it took until August. And I know along the way, people are like, what's happening? Why is this taking so long? But it seems like this was probably a major consideration because she would have had to have taken into account, especially with this many defendants, that any one of them could file this kind of motion and that she would have to be ready to go. So in many ways, that time was, would be in her 
view, I think, be wisely spent making sure all of her I's were dotted, T's were crossed, and she could be ready to go within that time span. And now that possibility has actually come to pass, Kenneth Cheeseborough, who's one of the lawyers who's been charged, has filed for this. And I don't know if his strategy, strategery, was to um, call her bluff. But if that's the case, then he miscalculated because he his motion was, I want to go to, I, I guess the final date was, you know, November 3rd or something like that, where he said, you know, we, we have to go to trial by that date. And she's like, all right, we're going to go to trial October 23rd. And so she's basically signaled that she's ready to go. Yes. That's, by the way, great, great, a great synopsis on that. Thank you. Um, you really set that up well. It, it, it is a, it was a big, a big deal by Cheesebro. And I'll just say, look, I mean, Cheesebro, whether, you know, I'll, I, whether he's guilty or not, um, is an evil man, uh, for using his legal knowledge in the way that he did to try to overturn our election. So I have no love lost for the guy. But as a legal tactician, I absolutely love this move. I absolutely love the move. We see a lot of, you know, there's a lot of times we see, uh, good, bad lawyering, but more often bad at these Trump cases. This is an example of very savvy lawyering. Um, it's something I totally respect. So w- le- let me just explain kind of a little bit, give some background how the system works here, because it, it can be a little complicated. Uh, the defend- defendant has a right to a speedy trial. Judges like to say that the public also has a right to a speedy trial, and technically speaking, that's, I suppose, true. That's usually just a bunch of stuff that they say when they're trying to push the defense to move, move the case along faster to clear up their docket. But typically, the focus is the defendant has a right to a speedy trial, and there's, a, there's not only in Georgia, but in federally, there's a speedy trial act. But everybody, and I remember when I first became a prosecutor uh, and was doing this, I always find it so weird. Everyone, when you walk up there, they always waive their right to speedy trial. They always delay, like agree to constant delays. And I was like, why are they doing this? Well, it's such a, this is such a great conversation to have juxtaposed with the last conversation, right? Because the defense usually wants time to look through their 12 million documents. When they get the case, usually when the case is indicted, they, unlike Trump, they usually don't have tons of attorneys on the case working it before indictment. That usually does not happen. Usually, someone gets indicted, they hire an attorney at that point, and the attorney's like, Judge, I just got retained yesterday. I don't know anything about this case. I have no idea what's going on. I barely talked to this, to, to this person. You know, she's, she, she and I have had, you know, 90 minutes of conversation. I need a lot of time to get up to speed on this. And so usually the government's ready to go and you're like, oh my God, I just met this person. I have a lot of work to do. And and so of course, of course, the defense is going to want a lot of time to prepare. That, that makes a lot of sense. So usually the, 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 the desire from the defense is for more time and more delay rather than less. And by the way, usually if you're going to spend time in prison, most people would prefer that to be (laughs) in the future. Take the can down uh, the road. Not now, not today. Yeah. You know, but you could die before you go to prison. Who knows, right? You could like, get on a plane and fly to the Bahamas. Like, yeah, like- well, there you go. Why are we in that? Why are we in any hurry to get there, right? So, so typically that's where the, def- the defense's position is. This request for speedy trial is a tactic. It had, it was employed very famously and successfully by Senator Tad Stevens's attorneys. 
um, when he was charged and indicted, and, and they basically said, we need a speedy trial before the election because we want to prove his innocence. And what ended up happening was the government committed some violations of his rights by not turning over exculpatory material, and he ended up getting his conviction reversed. And in that case, there were some lawyers from Maine Justice in D.C. who kind of screwed up and didn't have their crap together and had a bunch of documents, they, boxes of documents they hadn't reviewed and so on. It's a, it's a lesson that federal prosecutors are taught for now, for years. I was taught it when I was a federal prosecutor many years later, like, don't be that lawyer, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, I think Fonnie Willis was smart to get ready for this. Um, and I like it for the defense for a couple of reasons. One is, I think there was, like you said, there was a bet, and I do think it was kind of trying to call her bluff, like, you're not really ready, Fonnie Willis. Like, you know, you're, you guys, you guys are the B team, maybe the C team, uh, here. You're not the Jack Smith, uh, federal prosecutor dream team here. You know, good luck. Like, you're not going to get ready in 90 days or 60 days or whatever. Like, I, I, we can outrace you, that sort of thing. So that's, that's part of it. But I think that they also probably believe that even if their bluff is called, that they would rather have either rather have their own trial as opposed to trial with 18 uh-huh. other people and a lot of focus elsewhere and a situation where the jury might just check the box that she's broke because they just check the, all the boxes because they just, the other defendants say stupid things and they just sort of roll along with, ah, let's check his box too. Or uh, he also may think that it benefits him to have his trial before everybody else because first of all there's still a big fish left in the pond and and Fonnie Willis is gonna have to decide do I want to show all my cards uh. to get a conviction against cheese bro or do I want to hold some things back. And secondly, you know the the defendant, some of the defendants that are going to make these advice at counsel defenses it may be that Trump, I mean, even though you, t- I, I know under Georgia law, there's, you can't technically have an advice of counsel defense, like a formal one. They're still going to be pointing the finger at him and saying, this lawyer told me to do it. That's why I'm innocent. So I think he wanted to get his trial out of the way early. So I, I, like I said, tactically is a very smart move. Yes. And on that issue of advice of counsel defense, I mean, it is notable that I think since Cheeseboro filed for a motion for a speedy trial, so has Sidney Powell, and so has John Eastman. So it seems like the lawyers. the lawyers are trying to go first, and strategically, how would that help them? So you just said, first of all, that Bonnie Willis might hold back, um, because their defense is going to be, right, look, you know, co- the law was unsettled, and we were looking at a legal strategy that could be pursued. Um, they're going to cite, you know, I mean, we've, we've seen the Cheeseboro memo, which basically, I think, indicates that this was a disingenu- dis- disingenuous legal theory, but we'll leave that aside. Let's, like, just state what their defense is going to be. They're going to say, you know, there's precedent for this. Like, back in 1960, the state of Hawaii, um, you know, there was sure. a contested, you know, the... The outcome of the state, the election in that state was contested and they were, they convened a second, a slate of electors to have as a contingency until the litigation was determined. And that's all we were doing here. Um, you know, it, there was, you know, there was evidence of, I'm sure they'll continue to say that there's evidence of voter fraud and, uh, you know, we were filing lawsuits. Uh, as long as that litigation was happening, then we, you know, 
wanted to have a contingency plan. What's, I mean, and Cheeseboro, by the way, specifically, I think, is only mentioned in a few of the racketeering acts. I mean, he's he's liable for the entire enterprise, but as far as his own participation, it is more limited, I think, than many of the other defendants. Yeah, boy, there are so many reasons why you would want to do this early. And so if I, if I were them, like I, the more I think about it, the more I love the move on their part. Like I said, I'm the evil guy, cheeseboro evil guy, but, um, but it's his, his smart tactic by the lawyer. Uh, one reason why, um, is because, so one thing I think we talked about in our prior episode is I, I think I said Fannie Willis, I said Jack Smith was operating with a scalpel and Fannie, Fannie Willis or Fannie Willis was operating with a sledgehammer, right? Through everything she could at everybody. One of the advantages of the Willis approach is that if you indict 19 people, Often a trial, you could just sit back and eat popcorn if you're the prosecutor and watch them all point fingers at each other with their inconsistent defenses. And the jury realizes it's all a bunch of BS because they all have some excuse and then none of them mad up to you and they're all inconsistent with each other. So one thing that they do is the lawyers all have, all have a consistent defense, which is we're a bunch of lawyers. We're just given ideas and given advice and we had no idea. You know, that they were, what they were trying to do. We took them if there were facts at face value that they were asserting and all of that. And they're all going to say roughly the same thing. So that's one issue. Secondly, there's a, an admissibility of evidence issue, I would think as well. And other, and, and how the trial is. So in other words, so a couple of things. First of all, in a joint trial, one thing that happens is evidence that's admitted as to one person, the jury gets to hear for all. Right. So and they get an instruction that says, ignore this as to the other 18 people. Here's what I mean. I, let's say you and I are on trial together. Uh, let's hope that never happens. And <laughs> uh, they, the, 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 the government tries to introduce the, the words of Asha Rangappa, like she's whatever, she created the coup chart or whatever it is. They want to introduce it. You're, they're your words, so they're admissible against you. They're not admissible against me. You couldn't admit it for the truth of the matter asserted. But nonetheless, they, it comes in because this is a joint trial. And then the judge tells the jury, don't, don't use this against Renato. Just sort of have a magic mind and forget about it when you're considering his verdict. And so in a case like this, I'm sure there's some evidence. I haven't, I haven't looked at the evidence. So I don't know, but I'm sure there's some evidence that falls into that category. And then in addition to that, there's how the, the government puts together their case. So if you put together a trial of these 19 people, you're telling this massive elaborate story and you're telling, I'm talking about every player and the whole enterprise, right? Cause it's a RICO case. But if you just have a trial of the lawyers, if you don't streamline your case, like if you put on the whole kit and caboodle, I actually think that helps the defense because if I was on the defense there and we're sitting here watching the full story about, you know, Trump and... You're like, all that has nothing to do with me. I was just given the legal... Yeah, where's Cheesebro in his story? He wrote one memo and you got this... We all heard all this stuff for weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Where's my guy? Like, he doesn't even show up. He wrote... He sat in his, his, you know, in his house writing a memo and you're going to hold him responsible for all this violence and craziness? Come on now. And so she's going to have to make a tactical decision to change up her entire case, which she may not have, she may have prepared generally, but not completely for that. 
And, and it's just, it, 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 it forced her to not do what she was planning to do. So like I said, it, it, and then not use some of her evidence as a result. It, it's forcing her to be agile. And on the defense, you, you have, you don't have a lot of advantages. So you got to use your, your fighting and up. It's like the Spartans at Thermoplay or something. You got a Thermopylae or whatever. You got to like figure out what you, what you can use. And so I think that's, that was smart from that perspective. And if Trump is not, and these other defendants are not in the trial, do they have a better chance of asserting attorney-client privilege for certain types of testimony? Because um, well, there'll certainly be a, a difference in terms of how it plays out. Because first of all, like I said, you're not going to have a bunch of defense teams there that are trying to figure out a way to don- like throw the attorneys under the bus and blame the attorneys, which I assume is going to be Trump's defense. Trump's defense or big. Yep. Big defensivist is going to be. I was surrounded by all these celebrated attorneys. I mean, he's been was like a Supreme Court clerk. Cheeseboro went to Harvard Law School. They're all telling me it's a great idea. I just I trusted the lawyers, right? So none of that's going to be there. They're not going to be in the room fight. The, their defense teams are not going to be in the room fighting it. And then secondly, yeah, I think that another thing that may happen is there may be some shading by the attorneys against the Trump people in a way that couldn't occur if they were all in the courtroom and people were watching the trial of Donald J. Trump. In other words, I think that Cheeseboro might, and his team might say, look, boy, what Trump did, that was crazy. We're shocked people were, you know, attacking how he he was uh, supposedly there in January 6th. We've seen the video, but you know, say I had no idea people were going to be, you know, whatever they were doing, taking a piss in Nancy Pelosi's office. I didn't know that was going to happen. I had no idea that they were going to try to overturn. They took it so far. We just wrote memos. I just wrote a memo. Come on, man. You know, that sort of thing. So (laughs) I think, I think there's going to be an element of that. And I recognize ever, there's going to be a bunch of groans in the comments and like, you know, angry tomatoes, but I'm just telling you how I think it will play out. And they, and they might feel less comfortable doing that if they have to stare, if like Donald J. Trump is staring them down the entire time in the courtroom and they might feel more comfortable doing it, you know, in, in a, in their own separate trial. So at this point, this is happening. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd say we so. Are, we are. <laughs> I think so. Yep, I think it's. I think it's on. Game on. Yeah, and we'll have to talk another episode. I mean, Meadows thinks it's happening. Meadows is there testifying and fighting to get out. You know, fighting to get out of Georgia State Court. So no, this is happening. I mean, it's 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 happening. Like that meme, right, with uh, Ron Paul. It's happening. Right, 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 right. It, it is happening. Uh, no question. Okay, so. Um... I guess October 23rd, let the games begin. Because I assume also, by the way, that by filing a motion for a speedy trial, as you said, they're saying they're ready to go. So mm-hmm. they are, they're now precluding their ability to like file all these things, you know, to, to delay it beyond that. I mean, they could try to change their mind later. Okay. But it's just look really weird. Um, it, so you could do it. You could say, look, I've got this new batch of evidence and I see there's a lot more complications. I don't, I think it's not prudent to, yeah, I think we need another couple of months or something. I don't know. But yeah, I, I think that, no, I think they've kind of, de- the die is cast, so to speak. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, that is a good situation. And by the way, you know, we keep talking about separate trial. One thing I'll just clear up before before we go is that you could try, the judge could try to move everybody up on some 
insane schedule like this, but as a practical matter, it'd be very difficult and you'd be stuck with all of those issues with all, all the lawyers, the other, the other 16 lawyers, the legal team saying we're not ready and we can't be ready and yada, yada. And so the, you know, this is a way to buy yourself a separate drum. What about the other lawyers though? Could she say, okay, fine, let's do, uh, Let's do Cheeseboro and Eastman and the Kraken, and we'll do it all together. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. Then what? Then doesn't that count against Cheeseboro because Sidney Powell is a kook pot, and so is Eastman. I mean, in other words, yeah, I don't know if I were him, if my goal was to get out from under the shadow of all the crazies and make myself seem like just the reasonable lawyer. You're not really helping your re- I'm a reasonable lawyer case when you're sitting there with John Eastman and Sidney Powell. Yeah, I mean, it's a problem. I mean, every defendant wants to have their own trial. I'll just tell you. Almost. Unless, it, it, almost every defendant wants to, but they, they rarely get them because judges don't like trying multiple cases when they can try one. So I get it. And yep, that's a problem. It, it didn't work as perfectly as it could for Mr. Cheeseboro. I know. He saw, he saw Sidney Powell smile and no! he's like, no! And there's another <laughs> Star Wars reference. You're like, no! Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can still get out the popcorn, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's going to be quite a trial. If that's televised, I'll be watching. That's for sure. Cool boy. So, Renato, before we go, I guess you have a Henry story for us today. I do. So I think I've already established that Henry, while he looks very cute, he definitely has a aggressive side. And he was very enthusiastic about digging up our yard, which is out of nowhere because he's not that he's not usually a digger. But he was incredibly aggressive. All this dirt was flying. And he we started seeing things flying as well. So yeah. we ran back there. And we saved uh, these little baby bunnies. They're apparently bunnies. This is a cottontail, according to we talked to the the uh, my my wife talked to the animal control people nearby. We we did not nothing bad happened to the bunnies. Okay, but just <laughs> no to get, bunnies just were to get harmed. Info. In the- yeah, no bunnies were harmed here. But just to just to get info on what what we can do and what we should do with the bunnies. So they're cotton. They were cottontail babies. And the bunnies, apparently bunnies, what they do is they, they actually dig up and they create a nest underground and they cover it up with, oh, um, I did not know that grass and dirt. Yeah. To, okay. to prevent predators like Henry from getting, <laughs> uh, I mean, if we did not intervene, I don't know what would have happened to the baby um, bunnies, but the long and short of it is so we would cover up the baby bunnies every night and we would check on them. And basically the mother would go and they, we, we had a check. And my my wife would actually weigh them to see if the mother came to fill their stomach. This is the, what the animal control told wait, us. Wait, okay, wait, 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 stop for a second. So you that you also had the mom? No, the mom would come back and forth to the nest and feed them. So they're oh, we, I see. You, so you put them back into the nest pool, and covered the, it up, you, oh, and you covered it. I see. So this was like a whole thing in my household for a couple okay. of weeks. And then, so the, the did the, did the mom come back? Yes. And I believe and what is the mom three the or mom, four of them made she, it. She digs this up every time? Yeah. And feeds them. I don't feed, understand. Like, aren't they, are they, so they're just covered in dirt? Mm-hmm. 
And there's like a little, little grass and stuff over it. Yeah. It's like to prevent predators from finding I know, it. I know they that, have, but don't they suffocate? Isn't that like being buried alive? I don't know. I guess not. Maybe there's a layer passages in there. Okay, I'm not a bunny expert. All right, all right. The but, miracle of nature. Uh, okay. But this was like a whole thing in my household. Uh, we do not have any bunnies. We're not keeping any bunnies. A bit, Henry would not get along very well with the bunny. But uh, Henry was not allowed to be in the backyard. So he's very excited because now that the little baby bunnies have flown the nest, he could be back in his backyard. He's, he's patrolling ever since then. So the little baby bunnies disappeared one by one. The last one left a few days ago. And now Henry's patrolling looking for the next nest of baby bunnies. Very nice. Thank you for that yes. story. Fun. A, a fun in the Mariani household. So. <laughs> M S W Media. <laughs>